Well, hello there. It's a pleasure to have you come back in with me, listeners. Today, I have a great guest with me. I've known him for a pretty good long while. We've talked about doing this for years. Today, we're going to sit down and do this. The key thing is here, learning from friends. Chris, welcome. Hello. I am thrilled to be here. As Cade mentioned, we have talked about this for years. So to sit down and actually put the plan in action is uh, fantastic to see. It definitely is. Now, Chris, the first thing I want to ask you is, what is your first memory of us meeting together? Oh, man. First memory of us meeting together is, I believe it was first grade. We knew each other in kindergarten, but we weren't in the same class. But in first grade, I thought cowboys were cool and you thought Indians were cool. And I remember there was not a debate, but one of those juvenile first grade moments of like cowboys versus Indians. And I remember that one of our mutual friends was on your side and I was outnumbered. So the cowboys were, were outvoted one to two. Um, in hindsight, I'd say you were probably accurate, but six-year-old me was not aware of that. So, But funny thing, my first memory of us is at Lena in Heather Fowler's pool. Oh my God. I cannot believe that I said that. That was the strongest memory. But no, the first memory, absolutely, is swimming lessons in a pool where the first thing I ever see of Cade is him throwing up <laughs> inside the pool. True statement. And we're, we're both pretty much sitting there going, we don't want to go the deep end. We're scared out of our heads. That's I right. had too much Cheerios in the morning. And next thing I know... I'm so nervous. I vomit. And Chris stands there and looks at me and uh, doesn't really do much of anything. We just, just kind of sit there and then we, we kind of both get out of the pool. I, I think I was probably overwhelmed. It was probably the first time I saw someone else vomit my entire life. And I was already terrified as it was. You're right. I did not want to be in that pool, man. So I'm pretty sure all the struggles I had for the rest of that year were your fault. You scarred me. So. I'll, I'll take blame for that. I'll, I'll, I'll easily take blame for that. I do remember our discussions of Cowboys and Indians. That, yes. that, that was a good one. I think that carried on for Probably a while. Yeah, I had a real thing about it, which is strange looking back. But your your memory is absolutely the first one. That is the superior memory for certain. Now, let's think about this here. First grade, kindergarten. So that puts us back 27 years? Yeah, we're 32 as of this recording, right? So first grade, we'd be five. So yeah, 27 years, man. That's pretty impressive to really sit back and think about that. You're, you're one of the original OGs That's from right. the uh, Nightcrawlers. Absolutely. Oh, and especially when we get into discussion of like our history later on in life, right? I mean, the fact that we went to kindergarten, or we didn't go to kindergarten, we're at the same school, went in first grade, and that we're sitting here talking now is pretty miraculous, right? That we could keep it going this long, especially with everything that's happened throughout the years. I agree entirely. And for sure, I say that the biggest rebirth for us in terms of like solidifying our relationship was that junior year. Junior year, man. Junior year. To those listening, Kate and I, of our seven high school classes, had five classes together. And then he was in band and I was in theater and the auditorium and the band room were next to each other. And then our last class of the day, the doors were literally two feet apart. So we literally walked together everywhere for a year straight. And you're right. It, it was a make or break one for sure, because it very well could have resulted in us attempting to murder one another halfway through the year. But we made it through. We used to sit in 
that little band closet and listen to the Bravery's first album. Yeah, yeah, it was a fantastic time. Was that the year that I introduced Soundgarden to you as well? It, it sounds about right, because no one would have been introducing music to me much then, and we're sitting in that room just listening to music, so I can't imagine that anybody else would have done that. So, Yeah, it's very fascinating how quickly Chris Cornell, like, la- you latched on to Chris Cornell, and <laughs> that was the same year that I believe... Uh, Audio Slave came out, and so you latched onto that so hard. He was the coolest guy. I heard Like a Stone, and to those listening, I'm not a huge music head, or I wasn't. My musical knowledge is pretty limited, but man, when Coach Eyes by Audio Slave came out, that captured my imagination, and Chris Cornell had a mustache and goatee, which I still rock to this day, and he had spiky black hair, which I had forever. I saw that guy, and I thought, he is the coolest man on the planet, and then his his voice is peeling paint off the roof and then Kate introduced me to Soundgarden and that might be a whole different thing but yes absolutely well first came Soundgarden then Audio Slave right for reverse for me right I had no idea Soundgarden existed which I will say it took a little bit of the shine off Audio Slave that Rage Against the Machine and Soundgarden were sacrificed to make Audio Slave right like that's that's pretty disappointing uh but 16 year old Chris had no idea so now for those that do not know Chris Bias, give us a small like clip of describing Christopher Bias for us. Oh. Sorry, I called you Christopher. Man, that feels really <laughs> weird. That's okay. Ironically, almost all the females I meet for the first time call me Christopher, despite the fact that my name is Chris. So there's clearly some sort of interesting dichotomy here. Uh, but a, a description of me, that is a fascinating question. I feel like if you ask anybody that, that is a fascinating question. Uh, I am a peppy, passionate, gangly, I don't know if I want to say clumsy, but I'm certainly not the smoothest individual, I would say, Uh, but at points, uh, I can look like quite the confident dapper jet, and at other points, it looks like I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. My handwriting is this, like, ramshackle random mess, and that is how I would translate, like, my life. So, just just, just like that. So, a ramshackled mess. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. That's what I got on you that. You know, I probably should have described the handwriting a bit, a bit differently. It's a bit more random. Sometimes I feel like I can be a bit random, right? Sometimes I'm cool. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm smooth. Sometimes I'm not. Uh, but usually I have a pretty positive outlook on things. So I try to keep happy. That is 100% sure on that positive outlook deal. Like throughout the years, you've always been able to reel us back in and be like, hey, you know, that's fine. The positives in this or, hey, you know what? We, uh, we're, we're not dead. I try, man. You know, it got hard in the mid-20s there going into the workforce. But I'd say in general, that has been a role I've often tried to fulfill. So, yeah. So maybe positive with good intentions if my execution doesn't always come off. That might be a good way of, of describing me, I'd say. That, that definitely works. Better than a ramshackled mess. I'm glad we cleared that up. For sure. For, for sure. That's more of like my role yeah. on like piecing things together last second and just kind of guilting people You're into doing You're still selling stuff. yourself a little short. little short. Well, you were talking about work, talking about all this other different things that got in place. You missed talking about some of your hobbies and some things that we literally have in common that bind us together. Mm, well, let's see. Well, one, Kate uh, and I, though we haven't during the pandemic, attend Atlanta United games together. 
We are we're soccer bros for sure. A UFC. Yeah, I kind of drug him into that, um, which I'm I'm happy I did. Right, I think he's happy he, that uh, I did too. But one I didn't have to drag him in, and this is one there a lot of people are going to probably roll their eyes on. This is the divisive one: is we have been fans of professional wrestling since as long as I can remember. As long as I can remember. And we still are. And it's funny you mentioned that being such a divisive topic. I went on a date recently, and I just mentioned wrestling in passing. And I got the, oh, wait, you like wrestling look? And I thought, okay, this date's already over. I'm already too weird for this person. I've already overwhelmed them. But that is something we've shared in common. We've gone to events. Um, we've driven to different states for it. Uh, and we've had uh, a delightful time. So works in my book. Now, the key thing that I got out of there is... Uh Chris is a single, so all the <laughs> ladies out there, if you're looking for a phenomenal individual, he's a catch. The key thing that I, that's the deal breaker here is Chris is a cat man. I am a cat like, man. I love dogs. I yeah, love dogs. Yeah. But he's, you've got three cats. I have three cats. And he's rescued each and every one of them, so yes. that's a very you know high quality in my book, uh, ladies, if you uh, are interested. You know. I, that's one thing I forgot to mention. I, I, I do love small, fluffy animals. I, I'm also a vegetarian. Yeah, so I'm quite passionate about life in general, I guess we can say. Do you like uh, long walks on the beach and uh, sipping pina coladas? Uh, you know, long walks on the beach, absolutely, provided it's not 100 degrees. I might have sipped two pina coladas in my entire life. I don't know how to properly answer that question. Okay, so uh, <laughs> no, no comment? <laughs> no comment. Maybe, maybe the ladies out there can find out. Uh, that, that works. We we can get behind that. Uh, I, I can get behind that. So travel. That is a huge thing that I will say that I am envious of. That what was it? Your freshman sophomore year of college, you backpacked through Europe for how many days mm, was it? Tell so, me a little bit about that. Trip. Sure, sure. Well, that is another passion that me and Kate both share. Right, we want to do it as much as we can. Is travel, uh, so actually two things from college: one po in college, one post college. Um, I have always wanted to travel. I've always loved adventure, which will make more sense when we talk about something else later in this podcast. And I never had the chance to travel outside the country. And an organization called the International Student Volunteers came to the University of Georgia. It was my junior year, and they were doing trips where it was two weeks of volunteer work. And then two weeks of just touring. And they went to places like Thailand, South America, New Zealand. And I was enchanted by their pitch, right? Like hook, line, and sinker, I was in. But I didn't have the money to go. But my aunt and uncle, who are like a second set of parents to me, they never had any children. They spotted me for that trip. And so I went to Eastern Europe for four weeks, uh, two weeks in Romania. Uh, and that was for the volunteer portion. And then two weeks in Croatia and Slovenia, places you, your typical traveler ne never thinks of going, right? A place like Romania, Slovenia. Loved every second of it. And maybe we can digest that. But then after I got out of college, uh, about two years later, I did a 10-week backpacking trip around Western Europe. And I hit a lot of the, the high points, you know, the, the Englands, the Paris, the Switzerland's, the Italy's. And I did go back to Romania for a month. So I've actually spent more time in Romania than any other country aside from the United States. Now, was this the trip that Garrison, another person that will be on our podcast in a couple of weeks, is, was he in Ukraine at this time? Yeah. So throwback to an earlier conversation when we mentioned the cowboys versus indians and i said there was a third party that was with cade with the indians over the cowboys that is the exact same person we're talking about who we also went to kindergarten with yes he was in ukraine serving in the peace corps and i went over to romania 
oh, there's a story here too. And he came and visited. So he came, he visited, which was something that was wonderful to actually be able to travel outside of the country with one of my best friends, right? Um, which luckily I'll be getting to do again soon. Uh, here we come. Sp- I yep. flew. Spo- oh, I was going to say a little, little teaser for later, but my bad. you just blew I, that open. I totally did. Um, but Garrison came and he stayed for like a few days and he had to go home. And I remember there was this little, it's called the magazine, but it was like their little convenience store. Everybody went and hung out at night. You know, you get a few beers, some glass of wine. And Garrison had left earlier that day. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I wish Garrison was still here. You know, we we're going to do some fun stuff this weekend. And he missed it. And out of the darkness walks Garrison, like just out of the darkness. And all of us sit up like, one, yay. Two, what is going on? I can't remember exactly what happened, but a train got canceled, some scheduling conflicts arose, and he could not go back home until the weekend ended, which was wonderful in my opinion because we spent the next weekend just hanging out. We went, we visited a castle, we visited a nearby city, uh, so it worked out great for for me. I don't know how he felt about it, but I feel like he had a good time. So, yeah, that was one of the most like envious things that I've I've had of you of doing that ten week long trip across europe that is just phenomenal yeah. when it comes to this I, I gotta make a side comment here real quick like chris is staring over watching uh the tottenham hotspurs game uh, <laughs> versus west ham and it's a uh, it's, it's hilarious you know, i love it it's a passion of you that that comes up that is just i mean chris and his tottenham hotspurs he gets up he's so loyal he gets up at like five o'clock six o'clock in the morning to watch the game live it's just impressive. You know, it's actually really funny because I thought about turning the game off, right? But I was like, no, I can stay focused and answer all Kate's questions and have it on the background. But you talk about loyalty. You keep calling them Tottenham Hotspurs, and it's not plural. <laughs> it's just Hotspur. And so mentally, I was like, that's not right. That's not right. So It, it shows how much I uh, know soccer right yeah. now. That's uh, Besides uh, hey, MLS, it's okay. I- I'm out. He's learning, man. He's learning. There's nothing wrong with it. Now, how did you get into soccer? That That's one thing that I, I don't mm. know. How did you get there? I played. I played soccer more than any other sport growing up. Um, that was my main sport, though I stopped in middle school. In part, I wish I would have gone back and played much more seriously because as a kid, you know, you're just kind of doing it for fun. But uh, I've had quite a few serious knee injuries. Um, my kneecaps have popped out of place six times, three on the left knee, three on the right. And uh, some of those resulted in some pretty, pretty long rehab stints and a large amount of time spent on crutches. So, uh, you know, when when your knees have a tendency to pop out of place when you're younger, soccer is not the optimal sport, usually, to take part in. But, you know, once you play it, you know how it works. You know how difficult it is. Love for the game carries over. So That's true. Now, speaking of injuries, uh, I have a back issue that I'm going to send you a bill for as I get older of... They're telling them about this game that you used to play that I'd never liked playing whenever we would get off the bus, go oh, back to the classrooms. Oh my God. So, Kate and I not only went to kindergarten together, but our uh, parents taught at the same school uh, for a period of time. So, it was probably around, I don't know what grade we were in back then. We were in middle school, yeah, by m- this point. Yeah, middle school, probably, where we would we'd all go and we'd stay at the elementary school in the morning where our moms were before we got on the bus. And Cade, for whatever reason, inside into Cade, refused to use a locker. Refused. And he would put every single book, note, anything he had into a backpack and carry it on his back. He probably had like 30 pounds of gear in his backpack, on his back at all times. So for one, 
his back was getting messed up no matter what I did. That being said, I wasn't a great influence because one day he was walking down the hallway and I don't know what it was. It was like a shark that smelled blood in the water. I saw that backpack and I thought, you know what? I'm going to run up and I'm going to jump on top of that backpack. And as I was thinking it, Kate turned around and looked at me. I looked at him. We met eyes and he knew that I was going to sprint over there and jump on that backpack. And man, he took off down the hallway, running as fast as he could, backpack bouncing. He got right to the door, but it didn't matter. I le- left the top of that thing like a, I don't know, a tiger pouncing on some prey. Uh, yeah, I was a, I was like a jack, jack, jackal. What's the word? What's uh, the the little like hyena? No, um, <laughs> the deer that have like these. Oh, crazy antelope. Little, I felt like an antelope yeah. being attacked by a cheetah here. Yeah, it there was, was a thousand there was no percent. Fun. That was a thousand percent it. Does 32-year-old Chris find that to be irresponsible and mean? Yes. But, like, was 7th grade Chris remotely thinking about any of those things? Not at all. I just wanted to really jump on that backpack, and I did. So he probably has permanent spine damage from that. Um, But if you don't give your friends permanent spine damage, hey, you're not having fun, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's true. And then he almost broke my ankle one time with his car. Uh, Yeah, not my fault. Uh, we're, We're out of Sonic. Cade sticks his leg out of the car out of my open door to rest it because I think we've been playing football or something, right? And I reach out and to close my door and I shut it on his foot, like hard, right? Like I'm slamming the car door. But it's the sort of pain where you rear back and you're about to scream, but then no sound comes out of your mouth. Kay just has this little gasp. I have no idea what it's for. And I'm like, huh, why didn't my door close shut? So I open my door and I shut it again, right on his ankle again. Uh, and then he screamed. Then he screamed really loud. And then I realized that his foot was in the door. But that was not intentional, right? That That's not one we can put on me. I, I You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're blaming you for that one, at least I'll, 80%. You know, I'll take about a 40% on that There's one. There's no chance. You put your foot out of the door. 60 at least for you. We're the one that slammed it twice. You figure after the first slam that you know you think about something. We'll we'll let this be. We'll we'll move on to the other an, another. <laughs> the, the, we're gonna bring up a, an unsettled debate from fourteen years ago. Hey, I, I said on this podcast in the beginning that you know some things may get brought up, yep. emotions may arise. <laughs> my goodness, some real deep stuff here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Another thing from high school that I always found extremely fascinating was your role in drama Ah. like you went to nationals your freshman year wasn't it and Uh, then your senior year no it was my junior and senior yeah junior and senior which is ironic since i haven't acted a lick since i graduated from high school not a moment but i did i went uh junior and senior year for uh essentially national monologue competitions let's just call them that uh where you'd get up and you'd recite a piece in front of a bunch of different people so yeah i used to do that all the time we'd get up on the weekends we'd drive to some random part of georgia we'd compete in front of other theater people and then you know go from there and it's funny that i was in theater because i was never a traditional theater kid in that our high school didn't do any musicals until my senior year. And even then, one of them was We Will Rock You, the Queen musical. So we were never doing Grease. We were never doing Beauty and the Beast, right? We did a lot of weird plays, uh, which benefited from me uh, because I like those weird plays. Um, but yeah, so I lived that theater kid lifestyle without actually being a theater kid for four years. I think part of that was uh, that drove you further into the arts. This is just my perspective here. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Was it after freshman year, you were doing marching band with us and the band director said, hey, you need to choose between one or the other. Yep. And it was a 
Okay, I choose drama. Yep, I was in marching band and theater freshman year. And our band director was like, well, you really need to pick which one you want to focus on. And I was like, all right, fair enough. So I quit band and I went and did drama. I was the president and all that. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess thank her for forcing my hand, right? Yeah, definitely one of those interesting experiences. Now, I am curious here. We go to college. We both go to college together after we we had our extensive. I went to Georgia Highlands. Yes. And you wound up going to Young Harris. Right. We both, like, I've wound up there a year and a half after being in college. You went up there two years yep. after college. Mm-hmm. And we're both at the University of Georgia. You go into broadcast journalism. Yeah. <laughs> I go into education, secondary social studies education. And during this time period, you have this, like, amazing voice, as you all can hear here on this podcast. Oh, thank you. Tell me what happened with work. Like, after you got out of college, what was that next step for you? Oh, man, I didn't have one for sure. This is one of those learning moments, right, where you're in college and you're 21, 22, and you're thinking, oh, I have a good voice. I like sports. Therefore, I can be a, a play-by-play broadcaster. And that's not how it works, right? There's no path to play-by-play broadcaster. It's usually a producer or someone that already works at the station in some other capacity, right? And you know, it's important to get work experience. And I didn't have any of that, right? I did half, I did a semester at UGA's local station, but I didn't get an internship in Atlanta, right? I tried, but Athens was a bit too far and no one really wanted to to take that chance, I guess. So I go to school for something that I have no practical experience in, in a field that's incredibly important to have practical experience. So I got out of college and I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. I remember... The organization that I first traveled with in college, International Student Volunteers that I mentioned, I remember that I thought I had a job soon up for the semester after that. I was going to go around and recruit people. And then like two weeks before that was going to happen, they changed their plan and that fell through. So I had no idea what I was going to do. So I moved home and I started working at uh, Books A Million as a cashier. I, I sold books. But it didn't last too long because I did get a job as a sports writer for our local county paper. So I actually did use my degree for something related to sports that did happen. I won't lie, though, that job, as fun as it could be, going to events and recording stats, as fun as it could be, was terrible. I developed a twitch in my left eye. The stress was insane. And they laid me off after six months because they couldn't pay me of which I was grateful for because I didn't get fired and <laughs> so I could put it on my resume. And then I had no idea. I worked at Books A Million for like another year and a half. Uh, it was very much that time of the mid-20s where you have no idea what you want to do with your life. And I certainly didn't. That's true. After that, you went on to a recruiting website in order to try to get your next job. You wound up at Member Clicks. Mm, so actually, my aunt knew a recruiter i'm not one that normally has connections is the only connection that i had she knew a recruiter and she said you should get in touch with this recruiter and see if she can get you a job so i did and she said hey chris there's this great opportunity at an it firm in atlanta and i thought well man i don't know anything about it right and it's in atlanta at the time that was like an hour and a half away from where i lived in traffic in the teeth of traffic uh and she goes no trust me it's a great place i said i'm not sure she said they have a they have beer on tap in a nap room. And I said, you know, I can give this a shot. I can give this one a crack. 
and so I did go down and apply to be a customer service position at a tech company. And I worked that position for seven years. In hindsight, how in the heck I survived seven years working a phone call customer service position for a tech company, I don't know. Clearly, it was just the the instinct to feed my children, my cat children, or pay my mortgage. Uh, but it did allow me to actually pay the bills. So, And how long have you been with this company now? Uh, let's see. Now would be... Well, probably only seven and a half because I guess the the happy ending to the story is uh, I was promoted to a web design position over the summer. So uh, I am now a web designer, which is much more my speed uh, and much more something I enjoy. I work from home, which is great. My office is upstairs from where Kate and I are sitting at this very moment. Uh, My cats love it. They're big, cuddly, floofy. So they're big fans. They're big fans of it. Uh, So probably about seven and a half years at this point. And that's pretty impressive to be able to uh, do that. I'm now on my sixth or seventh school over nine years of being in education. So uh, being able to have like a steady place is uh, it's quite nice. Now, being in between these different jobs does not mean that I'm a terrible teacher. It just means that I've had several opportunities to be able to jump between uh, classrooms and things that pop up. So... But you just change schools. That happens, especially when you're a newer teacher, right? Um, depending on your position. That's not unusual yeah. at all. Nine years, newer teacher. Sure. We'll go, <laughs> we'll go with that. Well, within the first 10 years, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had pleasure at working um, all different types of jobs over the years. And I definitely want to say to Chris, you were so flexible and constantly going between uh, almost like a chameleon of jumping between all these different uh, opportunities you had. Now, there's something that you have not mentioned yet. Ooh. That is uh, extremely important. That helps you uh, pay the bills and keep yourself afloat, so you can be able to work on your true passion here. Oh uh, yes. What, what is what is this uh, passion that uh, I'm going to let you reveal it? Sure, sure. Well, the reason why I when I earlier said I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, I did. But the thing I want to do is not something that pays the bills for 99 percent of people that do it, and that is right. I have always wanted to be uh, an author. I love to write. Uh, Adult fantasy is my forte, I guess we can say. I've written two and a half books at this point. Um, But writing itself, people often might walk into a bookstore and they see that book on the shelf, right? And of course, they recognize someone got published. And they know it's hard. Don't get me wrong. They know it's difficult. But no one knows how difficult. For every debut author that somehow somehow scores a big contract, for every Stephanie Meyer in Twilight, there are 10,000 of those people writing good books that aren't even getting a remote look in from an agency or from an editor. And a lot of my struggle in the 20s came from the fact that I naively and quite stupidly told myself, oh, I'll write this book and it'll be good and someone will want to buy it and then they'll buy it and I'll be an author. And so I didn't have a lot of work ambitions outside of that because I just kind of assumed that's how it would go. And that is not how it went. And that is not how it goes. And it took me until my late 20s to realize, oh, this is something you do for fun. And then if you work hard enough at it, someday maybe you can make money at it. Because it's one thing to publish a book. I could go publish my book on Amazon right now. But if I do that without any marketing, without hiring an editor, without networking, 20 people are going to buy it, right? It's going to be everybody that I know. And I'm not going to make anything off it. I'll make $40. So if you actually want to make a concentrated push, the amount of effort that goes into it is insane. 
So that's what I've always wanted to do. Uh, I just had to realize that because it is a career where other people control your fate in a way that is unlike many jobs, it's something that sometimes isn't always up to you. And what I mean by that is if you go to school for anything, right, a specific job, and you study at it and you get good at it, provided that that employment field isn't devastated for some reason, right? If you keep applying, you will eventually get a job in it, right? It might not be the optimal job. It might not be a great, but like you'll get a job, right? If I go to school for uh, being a pharmacist, if I graduate and that's hard, right? Being a pharmacist is hard, but if I graduate and I keep applying and I'm an individual that's sound of mind and body, I will eventually get a job as a pharmacist because I have all the qualifications, new people cycling to the field with writing. That is not how it works. That's not how it works. There is an agent that wants to make money off of your book, meaning that their concern is if they can sell it, which is a big point people don't realize. Do they need to like your book to want to sell it? Absolutely. But there are a lot of books out there that most regular writers would tell you aren't written very well that sell like hotcakes because people don't care about that. It's the emotion, right? I mean, not to hit it twilight, right? But the Twilight books aren't considered to be the most well-regarded written books, but it doesn't matter because it captured the emotions of millions of young adults in an age range, and they wanted to buy the book. If an agent doesn't think they can sell your book and make money off of it, it doesn't matter how good it is. It's not getting sold. So can we have a small little uh, teaser uh, what this book is about? Because of my brain went to when you said adult uh, fiction was... Uh... Sometimes like my brain went to the gutter for a second. Oh my goodness. So it's so funny when I said that recently, side note everyone, since I am single, um, I am on Hinge and someone sent me like a little like and I had written on there that I'd written adult fantasy books and they thought the same thing. They made a comment about it. They thought that I wrote a different kind of story um, than I actually do. And as you can tell, I'm quite passionate about this. So if you hear me cut off, it's because Kate's giving me some sort of throat slashing motion, right? Uh, so uh, when I say adult fantasy, super generic, think Lord of the Rings. Think Game of Thrones, right? Science fiction fantasy, but not the science fiction portion. Unique worlds, magic. I don't have any dragons in my book, but think of that sort of style. Uh, and mine is about two tribes of winged humans that are separated by a massive dome of wind. And... The evil tribe, shall we say, has been imprisoned in the dome due to the war crimes of the past, and they're trying to break free and return war to the skies once more. And the uh, good tribe that lives outside the dome realizes this, and they're trying to prevent that from happening. So uh, how long have you been writing this book? Because if I remember correctly, this goes back to like middle school, elementary school like mm. area. So this is something that happens for a lot of writers. Uh, not this particular book, I haven't. It actually started in college at Lakeside where Cade lived for a summer. Uh, in a room that uh, I'm going to be honest with, I, I didn't pay for. Yep. It was, uh, they had an extra roommate. I'd just gotten back from my student teaching in Ireland and that roommate moved out. And so we uh, commandeered that room for that's exactly about what four months yeah. probably. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. But one thing that happens for a lot of writers is when they're growing up, they have these grand designs, these grand ideas. And I had the same thing. I'm going to write a nine-book series, this epic, sprawling saga, right? And then one day you realize, wait, I've never written anything. I couldn't string together 
20 pages of a good short story of like science fiction fantasy. How in the world could I ever write nine pages of anything? And that's what happened. In college, I realized all those ideas I had in elementary school, middle school, and high school, that they were all crap. They were all terrible. And so I was at Lakeside, and a commercial for a video game came on. And it involved winged humans. I don't want to call them angels because that has a religious context, but that's what they look like. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't see a lot of books about winged individuals. I could write a book like that. But if I did, what would it be about? And then I just brainstormed. So I spent college brainstorming it. And then I started writing it when I got out of college. Wrote it. It was awful. It was this massive, awful, terrible mess. Uh, and then I pretty much completely rewrote it. And then I cut it in half. And then I rewrote that as well. So at this point, I am essentially done with rewriting that because you you can write the one book your whole life, but it's not advisable. Uh, there's a common saying in the field of writing, which is you have a million bad words in you, so you best start writing now. And so I'm taking that to heart. You need to write more. You need to get better. But all in all, I've probably actually worked on what's two books now because I split it for about eight years total. I'm now writing my third uh, unattached book. It does not have anything to do with the first two. Now, I remember that you've been going to, you took a master class. You went to a couple of conventions, was it? Like mm -hmm. writing conventions? Yep. How does one, like, how did you find out about this process to become a writer? Because as you said, for years, you had no idea. You sure. just kind of were going at it and just writing. Writing, when I say it is difficult to get into, is an understatement. I would say writing my first book was like, this. these last eight years have been like going to college to learn how to go to college. Because no one tells you how you're supposed to do anything. You're not any good. Let's be clear. Whatever author that you like, whoever you like to read, unless they were that one in a million prodigy, the first few things they ever wrote absolutely sucked. They sucked. And someone read them and they told them, it sucks. And then they went back and they rewrote it and it sucked a little less. And someone says, hey, it sucks a little less. And then they went back and they rewrote it until the point where someone said, you know, I wouldn't be offensive showing this to my family, right? And you repeat that process ad nauseum until you actually get to the point of being considered readable. And that's not even publishable, right? That's a different topic. Uh, and I learned this the hard way for sure. So, I, And it wasn't a master class. It was something similar, though. I actually took a class with a, a fantasy author that has over 50 international best-selling books. I did do that. But before that, I had written my book, and no one had read it. And I thought, well, what do I do now, right, if I want to go traditional publishing? Well, when you traditionally publish, you don't just send your book to people. They usually ask for a query where you have to take your entire book and you have to condense it down into about 300 words. And you send it to them, and they judge whether they want to read more of your book based on that or not, right? And they judge it based on its length, based on its genre, right? Based on all that. And so I wrote a query, and it sucked. And so I was looking up anything about writing, and I saw there was an Atlanta Writers Conference. And they would bring in agents and editors to read over your stuff. You have to pay for it, right? But they would read over your stuff and they could request more if they liked it, uh, which is unlikely because oftentimes this is a general statement, but an agent might take on five clients a year, five clients a year, right? They get hundreds of queries every single day and they take on maybe five, six new clients a year. 
So the, the odds are low, but this is how you get someone to read something. Because the thing about writing is, no matter how good you think you are, one, you're not. I'll go ahead and say that. But two, someone else has to read it because something that makes sense in your brain likely won't make sense on the page because you know how it operates, but maybe you don't explain it enough so that someone who doesn't know how it works can understand the concept. So you have to have multiple eyes getting on it. And I won't lie, that first writer's conference, I sent my stuff into one of the biggest editors at the largest publishing house in fantasy. I'm not going to say their name in case I ever get sued for slander or something, right? And it was my first 20 pages. And that thing looked like a murder scene when it came back. The amount of red that was all over those pages. Oh my God. It, it could have died. It could have dyed my hair a different color, right? absolutely eviscerated it. I remember in her notes for the positives, there were two sentences. I can't remember what one was, but the other was like, the world seems interesting. <laughs> That's it. Wow. <laughs> the world seems interesting. And then the next page and a half of the notes was everything that I had done wrong. And this is your first lesson. In writing, you have to have a thick skin because a lot of people are going to tell you no. And a lot of people are going to tell you how bad they are, how bad you are. Um, but that was revolutionary for me because I've always been a trial and error guy. I needed someone to point out what I was doing wrong. And then in my brain, I went, oh, that's how you're supposed to write this paragraph. Oh, that is how you're supposed to proceed this way, right? The mechanics were my biggest flaw. I'm creative, but my mechanics were poor. And so for me, every single time I've had someone read it and submit something back it makes you think in a way that you are not naturally programmed to think and it makes you realize that you could be better um and so i started going to multiple writing conferences right uh, i started submitting my stuff to multiple things and i have had some success i had a full manuscript request from an agent so i have had an agent read the whole book uh, and she had a lot of great things to say um she did not purchase it because she did not think she could sell it now if you hear that you might think to yourself oh well she's being nice she had a whole lot of great things to say but she's just being kind that's not how agents work. Agents and editors in writing get hundreds of queries a day, and they have to save time. It is quite common to get what is called a form rejection, which you know is not personal. It's some sort of, hi, thank you for sending your work, but I'm not interested, right? And they just hit it for all the queries, right? When I was getting into writing, I heard from successful published authors, if you get a personalized rejection, that's a good thing because it means the person cared enough about a portion of your story to actually bother typing something out to you and letting you know that when generally they do not. It's just form rejection after form rejection, right? Like almost like a signature on an autograph, right? It's just this mass print thing. And I remember hearing that and being like, you're telling me it's good to get personalized rejections? No way. Anytime I read a rejection and it's personalized, I feel better because I know there was something in that story that was good enough to make them comment. Uh, so it, it is a heck of a process. And to answer your question, because I will ramble on about this forever, so I'll stop. I, I like a good ramble. Yeah. It, it's really informative. <laughs> like for sure that these listeners, I'm sure have not gone down that path or heard that path. This is this is what we're here for. This is the uh, the bread and butter. This is the stuff. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Um, so I have gone to quite a few conferences. I have submitted to agents um, and also submitted to other readers. You try to find beta readers, right? People to read your book. And that's tough because one, you're trying to get someone to read some of your work. Why would they, 
right? Like what's the incentive, you know? So book swaps are very popular. But also, sometimes you get people that read your work that have bad opinions, right? That have crap opinions that that you don't actually want to take feedback from, right? And you'll see that sometimes. You'll get two completely opposite sets of feedback from two different people. And that just goes to show you, of course, everyone has your personal taste, right? People like and dislike different things. But you have to learn how to navigate that because clearly both can't be right. So it is it is certainly a, a process you have to have a thick skin for. For me, the pressure was taken off when I told myself, okay, I'm going to try to work X amount of hours per week. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to writing conferences. I'm going to keep improving. And as long as I focus on improving, then chances are someday I'll get published. By telling myself I had to get published, that put an unnecessary burden on me because it's not something I could really control from a traditional publish standpoint. Again, obviously you can self-publish, but you got to make sure you do the right marketing. You know, there's a lot. You're kind of running your own business at that point. And at some point, I will try that if I can't get traditionally published, but I would prefer traditionally published first. So I, I had to tell myself, keep improving. As long as you keep improving as a writer, someday someone's going to want to read it. This is a extremely enlightening to kind of hear how in-depth you went with me today of talking about all of that process that dedication that you've had because this has been years in the making and you know you guys are lucky that you're getting the inside scoop here from this a future <laughs> famous author here uh, man if it, you'll hear any writer say it if any major traditionally published publishing organization would publish mine for a pizza right if they're like all right chris we'll give you a pizza but we'll like market it like a normal book i would bite their hands off for it right i would snap their hands off for it so that is the hope that someday that happens. Uh, if not, I plan to keep writing, you know, five or six. And if by the time I'm 40, I'm not published, then make the self-published push. Put some money behind it, right? Try to make the connections because it is an ever-changing world. You can be really successful self-publishing, but I don't know if this is accurate anymore. But at one point, if you sold over 100 books, you were in the top 10 percentile of books sold on Amazon. Because so many people just toss out these books they've written, but they haven't edited it, they haven't ran it by anyone, and they haven't marketed it. So who's going to buy it, right? Some random stranger is going to hop in upon your unedited book, buy it, shout it from the rooftops, and then 10,000 other people come and buy it? No, that's not how the process works. So it definitely is a, a lifelong goal. Um, how many rejections, I guess I'll ask this, do you think I received before I started rewriting my book? My guess, I'm going to throw a ballpark figure out there of 23 because mm. my brain went to Michael Jordan. That's here. not bad. 35. So after 35 rejections, I stopped. And it should have been earlier. Let's be clear. And I said, you know, maybe there's something in this book that I could do better. <laughs> and so uh, a lot of rewriting, um, a few more writing conferences, things of that sort. And I've gotten good feedback on my first chapter. So I'm hopeful that maybe I can start getting at least some nibbles pretty soon for it, even if not whole things, but read the first chapter and you want more. That was that was a few years ago. I'll say that. That 35 rejections was a few years ago because at one point before I split it into two, it was just all one big, one big book, which is a huge mistake because no agent wants to buy a massive book from a debut author if they know that there's no sellable asset behind them don't let that one big book that you know that got purchased from a debut author spoil you right that is the 0.1 percent scenario these are some 
great tips, great advice. I hope if there is a writer that is listening to this, get something very massive out of it. Because these are some great chunks of knowledge. I, as I've always heard is learn from others' mistakes and processes to be able to speed up for yourself as well. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like piggybacking off as that time goes along. Yeah. Last thing I'll say on it then, if I can. Last oh, yeah. Thing. No, it, you have the floor. Okay. You have to keep going. And at one point, I didn't know if I could. I was halfway through the first draft of my first book. I knew it was terrible. And you're going to be terrible. Let me be perfectly clear. You're going to be terrible when you're writing your first book. And I didn't know if I could keep going. And one of the biggest authors in fantasy right now is named Brandon Sanderson. Uh, If you're a a fan of fantasy writing, you know who he is if you're listening to this. And I listen to his Writing Excuses podcast. I listen to podcasts on writing. And... He's so successful, you know, making millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, man, how could I be like him? Brandon Sanderson's first, I I believe this number is correct. If not, it's one or two off. His first 12 books were rejected. His 13th book was the one that was published. Now, he went back and he rewrote some extensively. So that might skew that number a little bit. But the top fantasy author of our current generation was rejected 12 not just 12 times, for 12 different books. Now, by his own admission, he didn't do a good job editing, so he could have sped that process up. So I'm not saying you, fair listener, have to write 12 books to get your 13th published. He made mistakes just like I made mistakes, just like everybody does because there's no blueprint. But the point being is he is widely regarded as a good writer. And for 12 books, no one wanted to publish him. So it is a process where you have to keep going. That's for sure... In life in general, you just got to keep going, keep looking to improve yourself. Because if not, if you remain stagnant, like what's the point for really kind of continuing on stuff? Always find a way to better yourself. One comment I'm going to make of listening to talking about your persistence is about seven, eight months ago, you said that you were going to get into shape and you stuck to a routine. You started doing rock climbing. You started running again. You started doing all this workout. And I'm not going to lie. He's... He's got some good strong muscle on him. It's 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 pretty legit here. So I can see where you've translated this into other areas of your life, which is extremely inspiring. I mean, I consider that to anybody. It's not going to be a overnight experience. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take pain. It's going to take just months or years to get there. So something to think about for sure. Absolutely. Now, I want to know, you mentioned that one author. What are some other authors that really have pushed you and that you've enjoyed reading over the years? Mm, So the OG fantasy series that made me love fantasy, and many people, this is going to pop up, Robert Jordan, The Wheel of Time, which, if that sounds familiar, they're producing a series on it. The trailer just came out a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm torn between I wanted to watch it and it be great, and also it was kind of like my initial fantasy baby series so i'm also probably going to be super critical i hope not right hope i enjoy it robert jordan for fantasy he's the one that when i read it i went oh my god i want to be in this world the chronicles of amber by roger zelazny changed my writing life because that man took what someone would take in 400 pages and he did it in 180 his pacing was insane honestly i probably would have been set to write your traditional big long dense epic fantasy And then I read a book like The Chronicles of Amber 
where he has no regard for sitting around and waiting. He just makes everything happen at once, and it was fantastic. Uh, so for any any person thinking of getting into fantasy, Wheel of Time is one of the originals. Lord of the Rings, of course. Everybody knows Game of Thrones at this point, right? Um, and the Chronicles of Amber. And then Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. All those are great. Also, just read books on writing. Stephen King's On Writing is a fantastic example. Stephen King had written three books. He was working at a laundromat and had two children living in some crappy apartment with, with his wife when his first book got published, right? It is a struggle, but with writers, if you love it, it's something in your chest that you just can't ignore. I would much rather prefer to not like it because then, man, I could go learn how to fly a plane. You talk about me getting in shape. I could devote all those hours to being in shape. I could be some triathlon runner right now, right? Um, but when you write, it, you just you just have to do it. So just keep doing it. That's it. Just remember why you're doing it. You're doing it because you want to, and then everything else will eventually fall into place if you keep up with it. For sure, for sure. Now, I'm going to go backwards a little bit to... We're going to leave the book topic because mm-hmm. that's just... Oh my gosh, we could talk for days about that. I could. I can, you I can need tell to stop your, me. <laughs> yeah, I could tell your passion on this. But throughout your entire life, who has been some of the most impactful people in your life? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, well, you know, the obvious answer, but it is true, is, of course, my mom and dad. I'm lucky in that I have a great relationship with my parents, right? I know not everybody does. Um, I always have. That's been fantastic. Um, mom, you know, always tries to beat me to sending me a happy hump day message on Wednesdays, right? She got she got out a text message yesterday for me to be safe while climbing. Uh, and, you know, dad and I, we, we have a common ground with skiing. We love to go snow skiing together. Sorry, off topic. But those are influential. But someone aside from the parents, throw back to when I traveled for the first time and I said an aunt and uncle that didn't have any children paid for a trip. Uh, my uncle Bud and Aunt Carolyn were like a second set of parents to me. And they, my grandparents, most most of them passed away when I was quite young or not alive. So I never had the grandparent relationship. When people talk about that with their grandparents, I don't know what that is. But then again, I assume I do because that was my aunt and uncle, right? We went on trips with them. We did everything with them. Um, True story. Whenever I hear the song, My Hero by the Foo Fighters, my Uncle Bud is the person that I think of. So um, for me, the best person I've ever known in my entire life. Um, So I would say those are by far, you know, those that really influenced me as an individual. I mean, the thing is, I feel like it took a long time to influence me as an individual. As Cade knows, I've, I've always had a problem with timing, right? And I've been late for everything for, I don't know, forever. And just now in life, am I getting to the point where I'm like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be such a jerk and be late to everything. <laughs> so I don't know how strong some of those influences were on me, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, but if anybody did any good, it would be those people that I just mentioned. That is for sure a beautiful statement right there. Of You, you do have a wonderful family, for sure. And that's a blessing that a lot of us don't get to have right. when you look around in communities. Right. Uh, and I, I will say that I'm blessed as well. I'm hoping down the line that I will interview my mother or mm-hmm. my father or some of my siblings as well, just because of family is important. Family is a really big deal in uh, a lot of people's lives for it. Sure. Now, I want to know what is the five-year goal for Chris Bias? Mm. Five-year goal. You know, that's a great question because as we record this, I'm 32. I'll be 33 in April. 
And it's interesting to look around and see quite a few of my friends or acquaintances that are not only married, but have children, right? Because that's the the real dividing point is having kids, I think, right? Um, You know, Kate sitting here is married, right? You know, you get married, obviously you're living with someone else, uh, but you can still probably go out and do most of the things you want to do, right? When you have kids, now you're in charge of this child for at least, you know, minimum 18 years. And let's be honest, longer than that, probably, right? And so I see that, but Maybe because I am a late bloomer, because it took me until I was late 20s, turning 30, to kind of put life in perspective in a way that I felt like I could use to improve. I I just now feel like I'm just hitting my stride. So a part of me is like, well, you know, this is oftentimes when people like start trying to settle down. Obviously, I'm dating, right? Because, you know, I love the, you know, if, if the girl of my dreams, if I met her later today, that'd be fantastic, right? I'm not going to deny that, right? But I'm just now feeling like I'm personally starting to get things done. So I, life could go one of two ways. Selfishly, I want to keep trying to work out, keep trying to be in good shape, rock climb more. I love to rock climb. I did it yesterday. Cade called me this morning. He said, how are you feeling? I said, I am sore as heck, man, because I went outside for the first time. I'd only climbed inside. Uh, that and finish my third book and then write a fourth for sure. I definitely need to do at least two books within the next five years. Because if I do that, I'll have four books under my belt. And hopefully one of those gets published. And if one can get published, then I can kick on. If not, store those up to try to self-publish eventually. Uh, but during that time, you know, it'd be nice to find a lady that wants to travel, right? That wants to go and see the world, that wants to have some fun, right? I don't know if kids is within the next five years. Of course, that, that would put me at 37. For a lot of people, that's pretty late. Uh, but I don't know. There's just so much of life to explore, right? I have we're recording this in my town home, so I have my own home, uh, just me, right? I have these great cats. I'm riding. I'm feeling good. So just try to live, right? Just try to live and have real experiences, I guess. Beautiful. That is, you are a beautiful man. You are a beautiful uh, friend to kind of go through this and spending this last hour with you. I have definitely learned a lot more about you, even though I've known you for. 27 years just hanging on to it for a podcast like this right i knew from all the talk a few years ago when you wanted to start it i was like i'll save all the good stuff right that was clearly my intent so and and for sure this has been probably five years in the making of us talking about this and doing this and we finally sat down at this table Uh, this actual set of microphones that i'm using comes from a podcast kit that chris bought yep when he was living at his apartment so and I was practicing sports broadcasting. So I don't know if I was the first person Cade brought this up to, but I was definitely one of the early ones. So to be here and doing it now, right? Just things come in full circle with my mic equipment. Well, there's a, a reason that you're number one when ah, it comes to doing that. I mean, of course, right? Fair enough, though. No denying that. Well, we're going to wrap this up. I appreciate everybody that stuck with us for the almost hour here. It's been a pleasure to sit back and learn from friends here so thank you chris for spending your sunday morning with me as you're watching the tottenham game and lost uh, by the way having some tea oh we lost you see that i was clearly focused on the conversation i didn't even bat an eye right you didn't even notice i didn't i didn't (laughs) i could just see your eyes every so often go in but subscribe like Mm -hmm. join me over the next couple of weeks uh i'm looking forward to interview i've got about 10 lined up that are over the next couple weeks that we're going to kind of put out there so 
absolutely something you should listen to. And I say that not just as Cade's friend, right? Getting to know the actual local experience of real people is something that is underrated, I think, in life, right? Yeah, I, I feel that we hear so many celebrities and we hear the right. everybody's wanting to to get that next big person. Mm-hmm. My brain's like, hey, I've got these amazing friends that I've known my entire life. Why not share their story and share everybody has their own experiences to it. I think the next guest that I'm going to have runs a bread route. No one thinks about vendors right. of what you're buying in stores. So I'm excited to get that story. I have this individual beautiful man that uh, does writing. <laughs> I have some teacher friends and I've got just a wide variety of people of influences for it. Think of walk around and talk to people that are your friends and they can teach you something that you've never thought of. You just got to sit and you got to ask. You've got to poke a little bit further. You got to be patient with them and show true interest and love in who they are because of the people that are experts and love to talk about are themselves. It's just a true statement. Yeah. And on that note, whenever you write characters, it's important to recall that in everyone's mind, they are the protagonist of the story. They are the main character. And so someone that you believe that is a side character that, that doesn't have much interesting to say, in their minds, they're the leading role. So sit down and talk to someone and figure out what it's like for them to be the leading role, to see that from their perspective. Well, that's where we're going to wrap it up and call it a day. I want to say an awesome thanks to Paper Trails, the band that you are going to hear on this outro here. This was something that uh, Let's go. was recorded probably looking at 16 years ago. Yep. So uh, thank you, Paper Trails, for uh, being my intro and exit music. So have a good afternoon, have a blessed day, and most of all, stay curious with learning from friends.